seems as though there is division all around us in our world today. People often talk about how we live in a divided nation, or there's a lot of churches, unfortunately, where there's division within those churches. And you could even say that having all of these different denominations is division of the church, but even within individual churches, oftentimes you can find cliques of people and they have an opinion one way against other people in the church, or the division can sometimes even go down to the depth of our own hearts, where maybe we're divided and unsure of how we want to address a certain situation, or we want to chase after two things at the same time, but we only have the opportunity to chase after one of them, and so we're divided on what to do. Division is nothing new. It's been around for a long, long time. In fact, if you can believe it, there was even division within the early church. And not just some division, but a lot of division. And today what I want to do is I want to look at how Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, addressed a particular church that was facing division about its own leadership, and it was the Corinthian church. And I want us to look at today how Paul addressed all of this division that was found during the forming of this Corinthian church in the early years of when it was being founded. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So this is the first letter that Paul writes to the Corinthians after they've been founded. And this is the first chapter, so this is still the introduction of the letter as a whole. And we're going to break up this passage into two main parts, but let's begin reading at verse 10. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. In this passage, Paul is addressing this issue the Corinthians are having, of dividing themselves into these different groups, these different sections, based on whose teaching it is that they're following, that some are following Paul's teachings, others are following the teachings of Cephas, and they claim, okay, well, this is who I'm following, even though they're all within the same church. And Paul points out that as they are doing this, as they are picking out these different human leaders that they are going to be following, 
that in doing so, they are essentially trying to divide Christ. That's why he asked the question, is Christ divided? He's not divided. He is one. And Paul is asking basically this question, if Christ is not divided, if Christ is one, right, there is one truth, then why are you saying that you're following a whole bunch of different people? You shouldn't be following these different teachers. You should be learning from them still, but you shouldn't be focused on these people. You need to be focused instead on Christ. Because each and every one of you should be following Christ, not following any particular person. And this is something that I see in the church today as well, where we get so caught up in what I often call Christian celebrities, right? These might be great preachers or great theologians. And what happens sometimes is you have a lot of Christians who listen to these human people, and there's no problem with listening to people and learning from them, but it sometimes reaches this point where the person who is listening to them basically says, yeah, whatever they say is what I believe. And they aren't really doing the due diligence of, is this something that actually lines up with scripture? Or they spend more time listening to that person speak than they do in their Bibles or praying. And because of that, they've reached this place where they're no longer following Christ. They're no longer focused on God because now they're too busy following this person. Or sometimes it's a negative viewpoint rather than a positive viewpoint where they say, I stand completely against everything this person says and everything this person stands for. And then their whole theology is still based around that person. It's just based around being in opposition to that person. And I mean, you can look at a lot of different denominations that started just in being an opposition to the current denomination that was there, the current religious institution, and them just saying, well, we're just going to be the opposite of that. Whatever they are, whatever they're teaching, whatever these people are about, we're just going to be the opposite of that. Again, What's happening there is your theology isn't being built around Scripture. It's not being built around what God teaches us and what God has said. Instead, it's based around the beliefs of someone else. And sometimes the person who's involved isn't even someone else. Sometimes it's ourselves. Sometimes we're so busy following what we think theology should be and what we think God should be like, that we're no longer following God, we're following what we want and what we think. And then oftentimes we try to make everybody else believe what we think as well. But what I want us to realize is whether or not it's in that negative or positive approach, right? The negative approach of, I'm just going to believe opposite of this person, or it's the positive approach of, oh, I'm just going to believe whatever this person says or whatever I think is right, what happens there, no matter which of those approaches we're using, is that we've stopped basing our theology on Christ, we've stopped following Christ, and made it all about the beliefs of other people or the beliefs of us 
as people. And then what we try to do is take who God is and take this idea of God and we try to match it to where we are by using phrases like, well, God is on my side in this. I know that God's on my side because I'm doing the right thing or I'm believing the right thing. And when we're using phrases like that, we have that kind of attitude of this is where I am or this is where the leader I'm following is or this is the opposite side of that person I don't like. This place that I am right now, this is the side that God is on. Because I must be right, right? But that kind of attitude is not the way to approach our faith in God. There's a great quote by Abraham Lincoln, where during the Civil War, one of his advisors, I believe, says something along the lines of, boy, aren't you glad that God is on our side? And Abraham Lincoln's response to that is, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. And see, that's the right kind of perspective to have. Of not, well, God is on my side against my opposition, because God isn't that interested in our human conflicts with one another. What he's interested in is having a relationship with each and every person in the world. It's not about whether or not God's on our side. The question is, are we going to be seeking out Christ and following God and putting ourselves on God's side? Because God's not going to be changing sides. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is unchanging. He doesn't need to change because he's perfect already. So if God is then stationary, as in he doesn't change, and we as people definitely have a lot of things that we need to change, Right? God's not going to be moving over to our side. We need to be moving over to make sure that we are on God's side. And that's the perspective we see in Abraham Lincoln's response there. And it's reflective, I think, as well, as what happens with Joshua when he's getting ready to go and take the city of Jericho. In Joshua chapter 5, it says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? See, Joshua sees this man here, not recognizing that this is an angel, a commander of the army of the Lord, and he goes up asking, well, are you on my side, or are you on the side of Jericho? And the angel answers, now remember, Joshua has been appointed by God, and God is about to use Joshua to lead the Israelite people, his chosen people, to victory against Jericho. And yet, even with that background in place, the response from the angel is still neither. I'm not on your side any more than I'm on Jericho's side. 
the angel is saying, I'm not here to follow your orders any more than I'm going to follow the orders of the leaders in Jericho. I'm here to follow God's orders. And it's then that Joshua falls down in reverence and asks him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? Recognizing that rather than trying to have the angel be on his side, that he simply needs to be on God's side and follow God's direction instead. And that's the same kind of attitude that we are supposed to have. Where instead of being like the people in the Corinthian church that have taken all these different sides of who it is that they're following and standing in opposition to who someone else is following, to instead, like Joshua at the end here, recognize, oh, this isn't about getting people on my side. And it's definitely not about getting people on my side to stand with me against other people and the side that they're on. This is me needing to recognize that rather than following other people or rather than following myself, I instead need to submit who I am to God and keep my focus on Him alone to only follow the one true God. And that's what we need to focus on. Not on people, but on Christ. Not on standing in opposition to people, but standing on the side of Christ. It's not about trying to get people on your side or trying to get God on your side. It's saying, I'm not going to follow people, myself included. I'm going to follow Christ. So now let's go back to this passage in Corinthians, because Paul doesn't just try to take away the division that is at place in this church, he also tries to replace it with unity. So if we continue reading at verse 18, Paul continues by saying, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So here Paul kind of zooms out a bit, and he's taking them from this division of, oh, they're following Paul, they're following Apollos, they're following Cephas, and says, well, let's zoom out a bit more, and let's divide this into two easy categories, right? We've got the denomination of Jewish Christians, 
who are looking for signs from God, and they're telling everybody that they need to be circumcised in order to be Christians. And then we've got the Greek or Gentile denomination of Christians over here. And they're saying, well, since we have forgiveness of sin, sin isn't a problem anymore because you can just sin and then ask for forgiveness. So let's just keep on sinning. And we demand wisdom from God so we can be just as smart as these Jewish Christians. And God is saying, well, you're both wrong because you don't require circumcision and you shouldn't continue in sin. And what Paul is trying to tell them is, look, you both, both of these groups, right? So we've taken the smaller divisions and now we've grouped them together into these two large divisions. And even within those large divisions, you guys are still wrong. Both of you are wrong. And you're sitting here having a tug of war with each other, trying to pull each other to the other side, when in actuality, what needs to happen is for you guys to stop pointing the fingers at each other and instead turn your eyes upon Jesus and move towards a, the unity that is found in who Jesus Christ is and the message of what he did on the cross for both of you. He's saying stop looking at each other because what you need is going to be found in Christ alone. Stop focusing on people. Stop focusing on these different opinions between you and other people. Stop looking at people altogether. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Focus on the message of the cross, which is to bring all people, including you Jewish Christians, including you Gentile Christians, all people that he wants to bring into relationship with him. You see, Paul recognized that in the midst of all of this division, as they're following different human leaders, that the people who are following them are not going to find what they need with where they are going. Because what they need can only be found in Christ. And if they were going to have any unity at all, it wasn't going to be from arguing with each other until they are able to convince the other side that they're right. That unity was only going to be found if they stopped following all of these different human leaders going in different directions and instead all followed the same leader of God and walked in the message of Christ to reach out to other people. Because then it's not about pulling someone over to your side, it's about bringing all people, themselves included, to Christ. And this is a perspective that I've come to understand in my role as a pastor. And I've talked a little bit about this before, but I want to reiterate it here in case uh, you haven't heard me talk about this before. But oftentimes, the pastor, the role of the pastor is described as being a shepherd and kind of leading the flock of sheep along to where they need to go. And I had kind of a personal revelation, uh, I believe a couple of years ago, 
that really my role as a pastor isn't to be the shepherd because the shepherd needs to be Jesus. If the congregation, right, if, if the followers of Christ, if the church is symbolized by that flock of sheep, I don't want those people, I don't want that flock of sheep to be following me. They need to be following Jesus. And with that in mind, I see my role as more of that of the sheepdog that works with the shepherd in order to make sure that those sheep don't wander off from following the shepherd. But the distinction there is that I don't want to place myself on a pedestal telling the church that I'm the pastor of to come to me and and listen to me and follow me wherever I go, but to instead be telling them, listen, I, just like you, want to follow the commands and call of the shepherd. That's what I want to do. I'm just as much a part of the flock as you are. The only difference is that the shepherd has placed me in this particular role of listening to his instruction, just as we should all be listening to his instruction, but has given me the role of watching over all of you to make sure that you don't get off track and your eyes don't turn to anything else or anyone else other than Jesus. It's my job to follow the shepherd, just like it's your job to follow the shepherd, And it's also my job as a pastor in the role that I've been put in to help you make sure that you are following him as well. It's not about getting you to follow me. It's not about getting you to just trust everything that I say because I'm not perfect. I am still just a person. I will still make mistakes. I don't want to be the one you're following because you can only have one master. You can only follow one person. And I don't want to be that person in anyone's life because I can't fulfill every one of your needs. I can't help you in a perfect way all the time. I'm just not capable of that. But what I can do is help guide you into following the shepherd just as I am trying to do. Because only he will be able to meet all of your needs. And that's a perspective that is not limited to people who are vocational pastors. Really, everyone in the church should have that same perspective of saying, okay, we're not going to follow the sheepdog. We're not going to follow this preacher. We're not going to follow this theologian. Yes, we may listen to them and how they are showing us how to better follow the shepherd. But again, we're not following them. We're following the shepherd. We're following Jesus. Just as David described it in the psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. And we are to follow him and no one else. It's not about getting people onto our side. It's not about getting people to follow us. It's not about getting people to follow other people that we are following. It's not about following people. It's about saving people. 
It's about bringing the lost to Jesus. That as we follow him, that the way we follow him is in following in his mission, which is to the world, to those who are lost. And we say, okay, God, just like we see in the passage here, you are calling both Jews and Gentiles to you. You are calling the whole world to you, and there are those who are lost, and I understand that it's your mission to seek and to save those who are lost. And I'm not going to follow anyone else but you. I'm not going to focus on anyone else but you. Whether it be in a positive way, where I think they're fantastic, or in a negative way, where I hate everything about them that I'm just going to oppose them in spite. Stop following people and follow Christ. Because it's not about following people, it's about saving people. And we follow Christ in his mission to save people. And if we're not focused on that, then we are in disobedience to God. Because that's what scripture tells us to do. To focus on him, to have one God and one God alone, and to have that God be him and no one else and nothing else. And to do what he calls us to do, which is to go into all the world and make disciples. That is what we are to be focused on doing. And if we're focused on anything or anyone else, we are in disobedience to scripture. And that's where division in the church comes from, is when people get their eyes off of Jesus and are instead trying to get people on these different sides of who it is they need to be following. Stop following people. Follow Christ. Stop following people and instead bring them to Christ so they can have salvation. That is the call that Christ is giving to us. And so with that in mind, because that's the general call, and I talked about that a few weeks ago when I talked about having a clear purpose, right? That's the general call. With this in mind of following Christ, rather than ourselves or some other person, I want to focus you in on the specific thing that Christ is calling you to today and ask you this question, how is Christ calling you to follow him today? Where is he trying to lead you? Not where somebody else is trying to lead you, not just where you're trying to go, but where is God leading you? And how is he calling you to walk in the path that he is laying out for you? In order for the division in the church to turn into unity, it happens through all eyes being focused on Christ and following him. And that's today's sermon in the pocket. As always, if you have any comments or questions for me, I would love to hear from you. You can reach me either on the Sermon in the Pocket Facebook page, or you can also email me directly at sermoninthepocket at gmail.com. And as always, wherever you're listening to this, if you can like it, rate it, share it, all those things to help get the message out there, I would appreciate that. But until next time, thanks for being here. Thank you for listening. And I pray that God will bless you as you follow him and go out and do his 
good works in the world. Thank you.